The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. New music powerhouse Lisa Neer is a mezzo-soprano composer and actress on a mission to transform audiences through story, sound, and open-heartedness. She is inspired by female athleticism, the tender love of friends, the ambiguities of death, and the eerie mystery of deep ocean life. Her collaborators include Third Angle New Music, Delgani String Quartet, Rhymes with Opera, Choral Arts Ensemble of Portland, and University of Michigan Saxophone Ensemble. Lisa released her first EP entitled Of Wind and Waves in January, and her opera Sense of Self, written with librettist Kendra Preston Leonard, will be premiered by Opera Elect this year. Described by the Oregon Arts Watch as a small woman with a very big voice and especially alive, Nier captivates audiences with her electrifying dramatic commitment and unforgettable vocal colors. She recently performed with Third Angle New Music, The Resonance Ensemble, New Music Gathering, Queer Opera, the International Saxophone Symposium, Opera Theater Oregon, and Cascadia Composers. Lisa is the curator of the One Voice Project, which champions unaccompanied solo vocal performance. In addition to her creative work, 
Lisa coaches composers on writing for voices and coaches singers on technique, acting, and stage movement. As a composer, it begins with some kind of external inspiration, uh, a story, a place, an animal, an ecosystem, sometimes a feeling. A lot of times it helps for me when there's an image or a narrative or, or a place or a creature, but sometimes a feeling, a feeling of longing or a feeling of being lonely or a feeling of, you know, whatever. And then it also, because almost everything I write for the last four years, five years especially, has been for specific performers, it also starts with that performer, with listening to their work, their performances recently, to their favorite pieces, even if they haven't had a chance to perform them, and getting into my ear what they do in performance that's really special what they love, what are their pet peeves that they don't love, what makes them feel, yes, I, I can show off the thing I most love to do. This is my, my genius zone. And also getting an ear for sort of each instrument or each ensemble and how those colors might go together. That gives me a lot of inspiration too. So it's very challenging for me to send a proposal for a piece out into a void when I have not had a chance to meet performers because I'm like, I... I truly, I truly don't know what to tell you. And I mean, I can, I can impose something, but I find those kinds of calls for proposals very challenging because I get so much inspiration from even talking thematically about like what people love. Do they love something that's more abstract? Do they love this quirky technique that they just found out to do that they want to do more of? Or maybe there's something they're sick of. And, and even that, even someone saying like, I'm sick of flutter-tonguing can be like, okay, and then that can lead to these interesting conversations. So the performers, the external narrative or image or feeling, that all is sort of in this pre-writing stage for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because you're not doing this in abstraction, are you? The piece doesn't exist for me on paper. I mean, the p- it can be beautiful. It can be a piece of, of visual artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's just a set of instructions. It's it's not real until the other parties breathe life into it and interpretation into it. And that was very formative for me as a young composer. I feel like it's my job and as the composer to let people know where my inspiration is, where am I coming from, to, to lead them there, to open up there, but not to dictate everything. And so for me, I don't feel like the piece is really complete until it's 
performed until it's yeah. really brought to life. When you when you say interpret it, are you saying that are you just saying that the artist or the performer has just changed the rhythms and pitches or what what do you no. mean by how are you defining in- interpretation? You know, I I always tell people in much of my music there's sort of the the space of Brahms hmm. for some rubato, for some color. No, I wouldn't I would not necessarily be very happy if someone changed <laughs> my notes unless they they came to me and were like I really need you to change this it's in the break register or yeah you know this is not yeah. this is not a stretch that a I mean you know if there was a technical reason sure. um I'm always always happy to talk about that always happy to consider some osseo options or sure. or educate me my goodness I don't play all these instruments right 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 um but no I I mean more like how do you bring that I can write a crescendo, and how do you bring that crescendo to life? Is it is there a musical reason why it should be mechanical, mm-hmm. or is it is it something that feels more fluid? What color do you bring to it? What kind of shape do you bring to things? How do you inhabit the energy of the piece? And I always think of this as a performer. My job is to sell the piece. To yeah. I'm an I'm, I have an actoring background, so to fully do what you asked and like mm-hmm. be there a hundred percent. And if that's by being very quiet and unobtrusive, if that's what you're going for, that's my job. And if it's by being very assertive and owning those dynamics and really intentionally going for an accent, that's that's what that is too. And there is often in my music some moment or or more or many or at least one, of some kind of fermata, of some kind of rubato or retardando. So those things do not play elegantly on notation software. No. (laughs) And and I do not want Mm -hmm. the MIDI file to dictate that. I wrote a piece originally to accompany different public domain short 15 second or less sort of films from early film 
where people would take these cameras out and film different bodies of water, nature images. So there's like, yeah. I spliced together and sort of edited together, you know, a river, a waterfall, all this. And I okay. sort of composed a piece and performed it. And then the piece started to take on a life of its own afterwards as I was building up a whole concert of unaccompanied work, the One Voice Project with other composers writing for me. Right. The piece has been performed by myself, by others, sometimes with the film, sometimes without. It's all public domain mm -hmm. film stuff, so it's available for people. Yeah. The inspiration for the music came from the water and the sounds of rushing water, the sounds of splashing water on the beach, mm -hmm. the sounds of river and waterfall. And then also for a text, I started to look at folk songs that had to do with water from the U.S., from the British Isles. And I noticed that in addition to these different phrases about water, there were many adverbs of place. <laughs> you know, there were many words over, across, you know, down. There were a lot of directional words. And I, I started to think about playing with that, splicing together different fragments and what would happen if I wrote new melodies. But they were sort of fragments of text where you might recognize, you know. Right. Um, my Bonnie, right? right. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. ocean. I don't actually yeah. say that whole, yeah. but many of us might recognize that sure. or down by the river, you know, right. down by the riverside. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's down by the river. Yeah. Yeah. Take me to the river. Yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah. And so just what happens if we sort of put some of those phrases next to each other and how do they flow? And since water flows, I thought, what if the text sort of flows from one thought to another? And in that way, it's, it's not my most like Aristotelian narrative yeah. piece. And I love a good Aristotelian dramatic triangle. I'm a fan, but it is different, you know, yeah. it, the way that the text operates. You, hearing you say that gives me a little bit more insight into what I'm calling these vocalizations. At, at the, mm -hmm. You hear it at the start of the piece, uh, American Waters from the uh, of Wind and Waves uh, album, is that correct? Mm -hmm. that correct? That's right. Yeah, the EP. Mm -hmm. and, and so, what what are those vocalizations within the within this piece? What is it in the context of, of the piece, and for you? For me, they were inspired by sounds of water, and yeah. the films that inspired this piece, they're all silent. Sure. There were clips of silent films from early, so there was no track, sure. you know. Yeah. But I was creating this music and sound world. So I started to notice, you know, what are some of the different ways I can do that? And they're with different consonant noises, um, the unvoiced S, the unvoiced SH. And you can pitch those a little bit higher or lower. You know, you can have shh or shh, depending on how you change your embouchure or your vowel shape behind it and your lips. So there's also like a splashing sound. So again, we get kind of an unvoiced plosive, you know, PSH or PLSH, plush. And that was all from watching the videos and sort of trying to create, and then just taking it off and having it be a musical gesture that could crescendo, that could decrescendo, that could be pitched higher or lower, that could be dramatic in some way. Um, and I think also so many of my pieces have to do with, like we were talking about earlier, an image, a place, and a narrative or a feeling. So a building sort of a sense of space into the piece and atmosphere. Oh, 
My creations don't define my identity, but they are reflections of my identity or they're a way I express my identity. I've always been someone who was really interested in weird animal creatures and mm-hmm. and non-weird animal. But, you know, I was sure. always interested in, in critters and I was always interested in what was going on in nature and what was going on with plankton and why whales ate plankton or, you know, that. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm always, I'm always a little nerdy. Like I love sci-fi and I love fantasy and, right. you know, I love cooking and I love my brother. And growing up as a teenager, I really, I searched for pop albums that had anything to do with my experience, which was right. like being stressed out about my homework yeah. and loving my little brother yeah. and playing D and D with my uncles. And there yeah. was nothing. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was really frustrating to try yeah. to come into your late teens and 20s in a music world that was being marketed to you that was all about one version of heterosexual love. Right. Basically. Right. Yeah. And that didn't describe my experience. And likewise, even as a classical singer, you know, those books, it's like a little violet song. Yeah. And oh, oh, my love, don't leave me. Right. And I was like, no, let's go straight to Poulenc and let's go straight to Wolf and let's go <laughs> yeah. straight to any of the composers who had children's songs that were about mm-hmm. some weird little elf or right. something were always the ones I wanted to sing. So like that's when I look at my music and my identity, it's it's because of who I am and what interests me, mm-hmm. then you look at the themes explored in my output and we've got a piece about moths and we have a piece about me missing my family and we have a piece about right. the oceans that you know are on either side of me and where my great grandpa came and mm-hmm. the big rivers that divided me from where my parents lived. You know, that's that's one way that my identity comes out through my music making and my music creation. I love this idea that, you know, as we're in our formative years or as we're growing up and we begin a relationship with music, uh, this idea that there's there there might not have been music written for our specific experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what whatever that experience is. I'm always sort of interested in what's our personality and our way of being in the world that's kind of baked in. And then at the same time, I do take such comfort in the fact that you look back and you go, well, I have learned some stuff, like mm-hmm. needing these spaces to right. create from nothing. And I think undergrad Lisa would have said, no, it's due in two weeks. I have a half an hour. You have to write yeah. something now. Yeah. And I would have been really unhappy for that half hour and it probably wouldn't have been good. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of thing that maybe that 5% of me that has learned just a little bit that when you rest, 
you will be, you'll write better tomorrow when this is absolutely not the time to, that will be successful. It is better to cut the losses and find another time block. I also feel like as a singer and a composer, there are some benefits that of how they inform each other. And then also there's some, some ways that they make living in both identities tricky because as a composer, there comes a certain point in time where the pieces do and the parts are due and you just have to put in the hours. And if your hands are burning yeah. and your neck is hurting yeah. and it's 1159 at night, you just got to keep working. Yeah. And that's our life, especially as a young composer, when your commissions are tiny and you're sort of working 40, 50 hours plus your passion commission. It's not that you're lazy. It's that you had to work nine or 10 hours already today and now your pieces do. The other thing that has developed for me as well is somebody who's sort of like a work hard and um, I think from academia too, you sort of have that idea if you didn't struggle with something, it must be bad. Yeah. Um, that can kind of be a mentality that can creep in is recognizing when sometimes a happy flow happens and the piece is just fine that came out easy. Yeah. In the last two years, I've really worked with this idea of inviting that trust, inviting that flow um, not second guessing the piece that came easy and reminding myself of that piece you wrote 20 pages for that you all scrapped before you got the good piece. It's like, it balances out, maybe not in the same piece right. in terms of, in terms of any concern that I might be giving myself a pass and not writing my very best that like, no, you really are. Because look at how across the body of six months, you actually did a lot of that first drafting, just maybe not on the every piece. Right. And then it almost was, it seemed intuitive then, but it really was a series of previous experiments kind of coming to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that flow is a place you can trust. It's not laziness. Right. That's been something I really, I've really taken into my composing. And it also is something from my singing that when we trust, when we exhale with trust and love that it's going to be okay, things open up and relax and we sound better. Mm -hmm. It's not the only thing we have to worry about. Yeah. There are other things to learn, but it is a part of the puzzle that if we let, if we don't invite in, we won't maximize our best sound. So my creative lifestyle has evolved through these two different art forms, helping me along the way. Well, Lisa, this uh, has been fantastic. It's been great hearing your piece, American Waters. Uh, and it's also been great hearing about sort of your thoughts about identity. Before I let you go, if somebody wanted to find out more about you and your music and your teaching and your composing and your <laughs> performance and all the other things you do, where would they where would they go to find out more about that? Yeah, the best place to go is my website, which is lisanearmusic.com. And my last name is spelled a little funny. Mm -hmm. It's spelled N like Nancy, E-H-E-R. So it looks like Neher. Mm -hmm. It's, we just say near and far. So lisanearmusic.com, and that's where you'll find everything. I'm also, you can find me on all the social medias if you look for me. So connect with me wherever you are. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks to Lisa for sharing her music and her thoughts about the creative process with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the podcast. And as always, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.